This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, the all-in-one language app. With Rosetta Stone, you'll have everything you need to learn a language and use it in the real world. They offer immersive lessons, writing prompts, and engaging activities to prepare you for real-life conversations. You can pick and choose the lessons that work best for you and create a personalized experience that's both fun and engaging. Get ready for life's adventures with 50% off for I Know Dino listeners at rosettastone.com dino. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. This week in our 268th episode, we have a bunch of news, including a pair of new dinosaurs from southern Argentina, as well as a ton of new dinosaur attractions and a couple dinosaur video games. We also have Dinosaur of the Day Dryptosaurus and our fun fact. But before we get into all that, we always like to thank some of our patrons who have been the driving force behind the podcast staying on the airwaves for the last couple years. And this week, we'd like to thank Lucas and Eli, Wyatt, the Georges family, John Heck, Ranger Chris from Dino for Hire, Ray, Oliver E., Andrew and Helena Webb, Callum, Ricky, William, Red Sox Rex, Wouter, Moss Utah Raptor, Verossa Raptor, Goji, and Neil Ovenator. Yeah, thank you so much. You might be able to tell from this list that we have a lot of really creative names. And if you want your own unique handle shouted out through our airwaves, (laughs) as Garrett said, then check out our page at patreon.com slash inodino. Yep, lots of other rewards there too. Jumping right into the news, we have our new discovery from Southern Argentina. And this one is quite a paper. It's in open access, so you can read it yourself if you're interested. But it's kind of a wall of text. It's quite long. Took some doing getting through it. I do the hard work so you don't have to. (laughs) You can thank us on Patreon. And this paper was published by the Journal of the Argentine Museum of Natural Sciences, which is the owner of at least one of the fossils that they talk about. And it was written by Fernando Novas, and a whole bunch of other paleontologists. It was a huge effort, obviously. I think they said they covered something like 100 square kilometers or more. Obviously, they didn't go in detail into all these places, but they had like five different localities that they dug out and spent a lot of time and work finding these dinosaurs. So we appreciate it. Yeah, that's a huge effort. (laughs) Yeah. So both of the new dinosaurs that were named are from the Santa Cruz province. That's where they were doing all this work. And it's the lowest population province in Argentina, despite being the second biggest. So it's very sparsely populated. I think there's roughly one person per square kilometer on average. It's kind of like Alaska or something in terms of population density. It's the second farthest south province in Argentina after Tierra del Fuego. So it's very far south. Usually we're talking about dinosaurs from significantly farther north in Argentina, still technically in Patagonia. I think it's basically about as far south as Patagonia goes. And the formation is called the Chorio Formation, I think is how you pronounce it. Probably supposed to roll that R, but I am incapable. 
so I'm going to call it Chorillo. <laughs> it's about 30 kilometers southwest of El Calafate, and it's very close to the border with Chile, so like really far southwest Argentina, getting to that whole tip point of South America. Back in 1980, geologist Francisco Nuyo saw some sauropod bones sticking out of the ground, so he called up Jose Bonaparte, and that name should be familiar. He comes up in a ton of Sabrina's Dinosaur of the Days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has named tons of Argentinian dinosaurs. He's credited with making Argentina one of the world's centers of dinosaur paleontology, so very important guy, obviously. And he went there. He dug out a vertebra and assigned it to Antarctosaurus, which is known from a couple hundred kilometers north. It's called Antarctosaurus, not because it's from Antarctica, but because it's from the south in general. So it has the same Latin root for south. But weirdly, it's north of this one. (laughs) Sometimes the names get weird as we discover more and more dinosaurs. But at the same time, Bonaparte also snagged some theropod bones. He didn't describe those. And then he also drew some sauropod bones and left those in the ground because he didn't feel like digging them out, I guess. <laughs> there were too many. Yeah. Or they just didn't look significant enough or you just had too much other stuff going on. So he drew them, made note of it. And then about 40 years later in 2019, a team went back. They went for one week in January and another week in March and found just a ton of new material. Most importantly, though, they found enough to name two new dinosaurs, which are Nuyo Titan and Isazi Cursor. And technically, there's a third as well, if you include the bird that they named, which I think is pronounced Kukni or Kukne. It's known only from a partial coracoid, though, which is kind of the tip of the shoulder blade. So it's not really a great find. I'm really surprised that they named it. I guess it must be a really diagnostic feature on that coracoid. But if you're interested in that one, it might be similar to Ichthyornis. This is about all I can say about it. Ichthyornis is probably much more interesting because we have more than just a tip of a coracoid. <laughs> that doesn't mean more fossils won't be found later and, and described for it. True, yeah. All of the fossils that they found were dated to that Campanian through Maastrichtian. Apparently, there's a lot of debate about the exact age of these rocks, and they're not all the same. It's kind of all over the place. The geology there must be really crazy, (laughs) but it's somewhere around 70 to 80 million years ago, I think is a pretty safe bet. It's not the latest Cretaceous. It's also not early Campanian. So yeah, 70 to 80 million years old. Pretty recent in terms of dinosaurs, but not as recent as it gets. The first one I'm going to talk about is Nuyotitan Glacieris, and Nuyotitan is after Francisco Inuyo, who found the holotype back in 1980 plus Titan, since it's a titanosaur. And then Glacieris is after the Perito Moreno Glacier, which can be seen from the dig site. So I guess they were having a great time digging up this fossil, looking at a pretty glacier, and thought, somebody should name something after that glacier. And they just named it generally after glaciers in general, (laughs) rather than the specific glacier. Gives you an idea about how far south they are, though, that there are glaciers around them while they're digging. The Nuyotitan holotype includes the vertebra previously signed to Antarctosaurus, so they snagged that one and included it in their holotype description. Since it's far enough south, they think it's its own. Yeah, and also there are just a lot of other features that are different. And I think part of it is that that vertebra on its own before maybe shouldn't have been assigned because vertebra alone 
aren't a great way to describe a dinosaur. But anyway, now that we have more of it and it clearly fits in with this quarry with some unique features, we have a new name for it. They also included in the holotype some more vertebrae, some pieces of the ribs, and pieces from the fore and hind limbs in that holotype. So it's a much more complete find than just the original vertebra. In addition to the holotypes, I also referred four nearby finds, although there aren't any overlapping bones, so they can't tell really how many individuals they are because, you know, if you find four full humerus or something, you know that dinosaurs didn't have four arms and therefore you have at least two individuals. We have a lot of pieces, but some of the pieces are from the same bone and they don't overlap with other pieces. So it could be as little as just two individuals. And the reason that they think there could have been two and not just one is because one of the finds appears to be from a smaller individual, specifically the humerus, rib, and vertebra from one of the finds looks a little bit smaller. But other than that, they're all within about 100 square meters so they're not too far spread out, and maybe the rest of them are from one individual, we just don't know. Interestingly, they specify that they didn't find any osteoderms, so it doesn't have any of those cool titanosaur bumps on it. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. And it wasn't a huge titanosaur either. They say it, quote, probably surpassed 20 meters long, end quote, which makes it about 65 feet long or thereabouts but it wasn't a saltosaurine, which are known for being smaller and armored. That's not just because they didn't find osteoderms, but it's also missing some of the characteristics of the other bones that you see in saltosaurines. So weirdly, they think it might be a colossosaurian, which is a group we rarely talk about it, but it's the one that includes Argentinosaurus, Patagotitan, and Dreadnoughtus, which are some of the biggest ever mm -hmm. titanosaurs. Makes sense with the name colossosaurian. Yes, but it doesn't make a lot of sense with this one being, you know, in the 20 meter long ballpark. It's weird. They also say Neotitan looks a little bit more gracile than Argentinosaurus and Patagotitan and Renatus, so it's a little bit thinner looking. Maybe it's quicker or filling a slightly different niche. Who knows? One other unique detail about Neotitan is that on its tail vertebrae, it had a unique texture that indicates they may have overstretched some of their muscles. Apparently there are similar features on athletic people's bones, <laughs> they describe it as, where like from exercising, these tendons and stuff kind of invade the bones a little bit more, and then you get this specific texture on the bones, and in this case it's on the vertebrae. So maybe it was using its tail in a different way than some other titanosaurs, or otherwise just moving it more than usual or something. The other new dinosaur that they described was Izazi Cursor Santa Cruzensis, or Santa Cruzensis. I'm not sure how it's supposed to be pronounced exactly, but Izazi Cursor is after preparator Marcelo P. Izazi, who discovered the remains. It's interesting that the preparator is getting named <laughs> for discovering it. He must have just been going along with the team from the museum to look in the area and happens to be a preparator, but when the time is right, he heads out to look for dinosaurs too. Could be, yeah. It's a lot of people who do multiple jobs. Could be good to get out of the lab once in a while. And then cursor is Latin for runner, so it's like the Asazi runner. <laughs> and then Santa Cruzensis is obviously after the province of Santa Cruz in Argentina, where it was found. So this one is an iguanodontian ornithopod, and they represent Asazi cursor as about four and a half meters or 15 feet long and roughly waist height, I'll say, 
compared to their scale person in the picture. So you're talking about maybe four, three feet tall in that ballpark. Not too intimidating. <laughs> uh, well, depends. I suppose. I mean, it's an ornithopod too, so it's probably not eating people. Or Doesn't mean he can't mammals. do damage. <laughs> I suppose. They gave it a really generic ornithopod silhouette. So sort of like a scaled up Australian ornithopod, like the little Weewerosaurus or one of those. Just make it bigger. It's got that rounded snout and not really a whole lot of awesome features. That's why no one really talks about ornithopods all that often. <laughs> so it looks just kind of similar to one another. And even at 15 feet long, it's still much smaller than the hadrosaurs that it would have coexisted with. So hadrosaurs have been found right across the border in Chile. So authors are suggesting niche partitioning that maybe these ornithopods were kind of going after some of the smaller stuff in the area and the hadrosaurs were going after a different type of vegetation that required them being bigger or the hadrosaurs were eating stuff that was higher up on plants or something. Who knows? They found at least four Isazi cursor individuals, including juveniles, so kind of the opposite of the previous one where there were several different locations and we don't know how many individuals they are. They could be one. <laughs> this one, they found one spot that clearly has multiple individuals. None of the individuals alone gives us a really good picture of what Isazi cursor looks like, but when you combine them, we get a slightly better picture. <laughs> Still pretty fragmentary, but fortunately those fragments are spread all over the body. They go essentially from the tip of the neck all the way down to like almost the tip of the tail. So we don't have any of the skull, but in between that we have a lot of bits and pieces all over the place, especially vertebrae. There's a ton of vertebrae in the tail and sacrum particularly. I think there's only one sacral vertebrae missing. Then we also have parts of the humerus and scapula, basically the upper arms, and we have parts of both legs and feet. So you have a pretty good idea about what it looked like and sort of its overall body plan. The holotype is only the end of the left tibia <laughs> because as it was found with so many individuals all jumbled up and they're all broken up pieces, they had to pick just one fragment basically to be their holotype. Was that the biggest fragment? I think it was probably the most diagnostic one. It was one of the bigger ones, but you know, the humerus and femur and stuff had some big chunks on them too. They described the legs and feet as quote unquote more robust, or as I think of it, beefier <laughs> than close relatives, including Borosaurus, which is from Antarctica. So it's got, I guess, stronger legs. Maybe it wasn't as quick. And because a group of various ages was found together, the authors are assuming that they were gregarious living together. And they pointed to some other nearby-ish discoveries that showed dinosaurs living together. And we've talked about that quite a bit. There's always controversy about whether or not they actually live together or if they happen to just die together for other reasons. Like there was a group of them fleeing in a direction or they got flooded and washed into like a, an area together. It's always really, really hard to tell. But I suppose the more of them that we find in groups together, especially at different ages, seems to help with that theory. In addition to those two named dinosaurs, Asazi Cursor and Nuyotitan, they also found an abelosauroid toe. Mm. Yeah. That must have been a distinct toe. Well, it wasn't distinctive enough to give them a genus name for it, but I guess it is distinct enough to know that it's an abelosauroid. So it probably helps that it's in South America. 
and kind of narrows down what kind of carnivores would be around. They also found part of an Unenlagiid claw, which are those South American raptors. And it's not even a very great piece of the claw. It's not like a big curved thing. It's kind of in the middle of the claw. <laughs> this is not really the claw part of the claw. So it's pretty impressive that they figured it out based on the groove that's in it. In addition, they found a bunch of eggshell fragments from both sauropods and theropods. Some of them might have been Neotitan. One of them was found right on the tibia of Neotitan, so that seems likely. And in addition to dinosaurs, the team also found pieces from a mammal, mosasaur, fish, turtle, snake, and other remains. They also found several casts from invertebrates and some better quality gastropods and plants. So if you're into paleobotany, there's probably some good papers coming out soon. That's a lot of things. Yeah, they have. They talk a lot about how this gives us a better picture of the area because we've talked about at least one or two dinosaurs that were named from the area, but there haven't been a lot of papers about just how diverse the fauna and flora was there and kind of a more comprehensive view of the ecosystem. So this really helps us figure out what all was interacting, which is much more exciting, I think. Both Nuyo Titan and Tassazi Cursor are on display. I found a bunch of pictures of them being on display. They went on display, I think, just about a month ago when they released the paper. And it was under the title that translates to the dinosaurs at the end of the world. Hmm. <laughs> I'm assuming that they mean kind of like the edge of the world and not the end of the dinosaurs reign of terror <laughs> because it was found so south in Argentina. But I'm not sure because it is also sort of late Cretaceous. I can't read the other text that was on there. And it's in Spanish, which makes it harder for me. They make a point of saying that the fossils are owned by the Museo Padre Molina, but I'm pretty sure that the display is at the Buenos Aires Natural Science Museum that's based on the pictures because there's kind of this blue wall that I found and recognized from other pictures of the museum. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Maybe they just went there for the press conference and they're going to go back to the other museum. So I'm not sure where they'll end up. I need to put both of these on our dinosaur museum map because they look like cool museums. But if they are still at the Buenos Aires Natural Sciences Museum, you could go there and also see Patagosaurus, which we talked about last week, because that's on display there too. A lot going on in southern Argentina these days. Yeah, and millions of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> First bad joke of the year. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We've already done a few. <laughs> Probably. In other news, in Virginia, we've got some museum news. The Virginia Living Museum is having a dinosaur year. That means they're going to have two exhibits, Tiny Titans, Dinosaur Eggs. Maybe you've heard about that. It's a traveling one. That's going to run from January 18th through May 3rd. And then they have the Jurassic Giants exhibit, which will run from May 23rd through September 7th. So Jurassic Giants will feature giganotosaurus and have animatronic animals from the triassic jurassic and cretaceous and there's also going to be a presentation about the discovery of the dinosaur embryo baby louie in chongqing china jurassic dinosaur parks being built this year so they're going to have a fossil site in the excavation area and a theme park along with a fossil museum and research base sounds pretty massive and the research base plans to study the movement of dinosaurs that lived in the jurassic cool just another one to add to our list to visit in China, I guess. In Michigan, at the Wharton Center on January 25th, coming up, you can see Dino Light, which is this glow-in-the-dark show about a scientist who uses magical powers to bring a friendly dinosaur to life. <laughs> and there's puppets, neon lights, and dance. It took 200 hours to create these characters, and they're all made from recyclable materials. 
It's meant for kids ages 6 to 11, but I would really like to see it. <laughs> Too bad it's all the way in Michigan. Yeah, that's pretty far. Maybe it'll travel. Or there'll be some YouTube clips we can watch. Oh, that too. That's easier. <laughs> At Halsway Quarry in Christchurch, New Zealand, there's a 10-day dino fest going on. Ooh, not much longer until January 18th. It started on the 9th. And that features 25 dinosaur replicas. And they have three animatronic dinosaurs, including a triceratops that can walk. There's a narrated dinosaur encounter show three times a day. And there's also a dinosaur trail and activities such as a dino dig pretty dinotastic. I like to see that Triceratops walking around. Yeah. In media, the next season of Power Rangers might have dinosaurs, so there's rumors that they're adapting Kirishiru Sentai Ryusolger, or Night Dragon Squadron Ryusolger, which features, quote, a team of knights who draw on the power of dinosaurs. <laughs> I don't know too much about that series, but I'm sure there are people who do, and I think they're excited. Yeah, there's been a lot of dinosaurs in history with Power Rangers, it's probably the best thing about Power Rangers, the dinosaurs. <laughs> For a dinosaur enthusiast type fan, yeah. Yeah, that's me. In comics, there's a full review of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur for anyone who might be interested in diving into that series. So it's a really positive review. It talks about the strong character writing. We haven't actually read the series yet, but there's a fun image in this review of the T-Rex hitching a ride on top of a subway train. Yeah, that's a pretty cool picture. And I think they made the review because the newest edition, Devil Dinosaur Full Moon, just got released, I think today, or maybe the day before this airs. So you can pick that up. In VR reviews, GamesView posted a review of Dinosaur Island VR, and that's where all the dinosaurs are out to murder you, <laughs> as well as some piranhas. Murder is a strong word when it's a different species. I'm using the word from the review. <laughs> It sounds like you sit in a ride that's on rails and then you shoot all the dinosaurs that come on screen. The review is pretty lukewarm. It says it's fun in the beginning, but then the novelty wears off and there's some flaws that are kind of annoying. So like small dinosaurs don't have any attack animations. And then sometimes your weapon takes a long time to auto reload. So then you end up dying. And there's no surprise when dinosaurs come about. So there's no quote unquote fear factor. Because they just always pop up at the exact same time. I think it's just really obvious when they're coming. Oh. <laughs> so they gave it a 5 out of 10 because, quote, it has moments of fun, which means it's probably worth dipping in if you're a hardcore dino fan, but there's little here to make it stand out. So there you go, hardcore dino fans. I don't know. Because if you're a hardcore dino fan, do you really just want to shoot dinosaurs? Oh, that's true. But maybe you want to see what the dinosaurs look like in VR. It could be, yeah. There are some cool, just like, walk around dinosaurs in VR things that I've done that I enjoyed quite a bit. I looked at this game. I thought about playing it before you talked about it, but I watched the video of it and I was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Five out of 10. Yeah. I, I wanted to compare it. So we talked about Island 359 quite a while ago, which is a different VR game where you shoot dinosaurs, but you're a little bit more like out in the environment. You can move around wherever you want. And I think you sort of craft weapons and stuff, which was pretty fun. It was a little bit buggy, but it was pretty fun. And there it's similarly reviewed, but for different reasons, people don't like it. People are annoyed with the bugs in Island 359. Whereas in this one, people are annoyed with the lack of content. By so. bugs, do you mean prehistoric <laughs> bugs or game bugs? I mean, like you get stuck and okay. then you die because you can't move. <laughs> Need some clarification in this case. <laughs> yeah. Because in most of these games, it's interesting too, because it's usually just dinosaurs and then they don't include any of the other prehistoric animals like bugs. Sometimes they throw in some like pterodactyls. I think they had those in the 
dinosaur island game but yeah it looked kind of like the jurassic park game we played in an arcade where it has those highlighted points Mm. and you have to like shoot those specific spots but in vr probably just stick to the arcade game though yeah that one's pretty addicting takes all the quarters (laughs) there's another game dino crisis that's getting updated for pc so gemini's upgrading it for pc there's also an indie team bringing it to unreal 4 engine this fan project's called dino crisis rebirth that's gonna come out sometime this year and it may be a mod so not too much to share there, but for anyone who likes Dino Crisis. Yeah, I've never played it. When it comes out on PC, I'll have to try it. And last, there's an interesting piece on Forbes about how the Death Star from Star Wars crashing on a planet would have caused a dinosaur-sized extinction event. And for those who haven't seen the latest Star Wars, here's, there might be some spoilers. So Purdue University and Imperial College London have developed Impact Earth, which is this online program that simulates hypothetical effects of various sized things that would hit an Earth-like planet. And you can input a lot of parameters. You can do like the diameter and density of the projectile, the distance from the impact, and then calculate what could happen. Yeah, we talked about this one before. It's pretty fun. It tells you like based on where you are on the Earth, how much that impact would affect you too, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the Forbes article, David Bresson found that the Death Star 2 impact on a planet would create at least a 264-kilometer-wide crater that's more than one kilometer deep. And the Chicxulub crater, in comparison, is 150 kilometers. And that's the second-largest confirmed impact structure on Earth. And the largest was 300 kilometers wide. I'm going to mispronounce this, but the Vredefort structure in South Africa, that's estimated to be over 2 billion years old. So based on all this, and then based on scenes from The Rise of Skywalker, David Bresson found that it looks like a 40-kilometer-sized fragment of the Death Star hit the planet. But even so, that, quote, would have formed a 100-kilometer crater dwarfing most of real craters found on Earth and causing untold damage, end quote. In the movie, it did look like quite a bit of damage was caused. It did. So maybe they did it right. I'd have to watch the movie again to see. Yeah. I don't remember. At first, when you were reading this and you were talking about the Death Star impacting, I was thinking the entire Death Star. Yeah. And then it's like planets bouncing off each other. So I was like, it would do more than a crater. But we're talking about just a small piece of the Death Star hitting Mm -hmm. it, which makes more sense. The big question there is, how fast does it hit? Because that's the other huge factor in how much damage gets caused. Well, you can use Impact Earth and play around. Yeah, true. So you could do a range of different Death Star explosion (laughs) speeds, and therefore how fast the Death Star chunks are going when they hit the planet. Something they never thought about in the first movie when they're blowing up the Death Star. They're going to send all this debris out there to crash into other planets. That's true. It's extra damage. Mm -hmm. The Morrison Formation is by far the most famous Jurassic site in the United States, and I would argue in the world... Especially for sauropods. It does have some fantastic sauropods. They are spread across multiple states, and the Morrison Formation covers a good portion of western Colorado, and that's where this week's sponsor, the Colorado Northwestern Community College, or CNCC, comes in. Possibly the most famous sauropod from the Morrison Formation is Brachiosaurus, and the Morrison Formation also includes two other very famous dinosaurs, Allosaurus and Stegosaurus. And CNCC actually has an active dig site right now with all three of those amazing dinosaurs in one site. Nice. And even better, you can join them digging up those bones this summer. 
They're offering 16-day field programs where you can dig up bones with expert local paleontologists from the college. There's two scheduled digs. The first one's July 6th to July 20th. The second one is July 22nd to August 5th, but they are filling up, so be sure that you sign up now. You can go to cncc.edu slash dinodig to get all the details. Make sure you register online by May 31st, but do it even sooner because, again, those spots are going to be full soon. Again, that's cncc.edu slash dinodig. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone, world-class language learning for the world's best moms. It's almost Mother's Day after all. We're going to continue our story from last time about our trip to the Taipei Zoo in Taiwan. Yeah, we definitely recommend the Taipei Zoo in Taiwan. They have a really cool dinosaur museum featuring all the highlights like Deinonychus, T-Rex, Triceratops. So we had a really great time. And then we decided to take the train back and we had some more aha moments with our language learning journey. Yeah, we had to read some maps to navigate home. And of course, a lot of the things are translated into English, but not everything is translated. So it helps a lot if you know some of the local language. It's also very nice to be able to understand announcements when you're on public transportation. Yes, because things can change sometimes. And as a bonus, we were on the train at the time when everyone was coming home from work, so I got to practice even more by listening in on conversations. Not that I was trying, but we were elbow to elbow with people, so it was hard not to hear what they were saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There wasn't anything too juicy, mostly people talking about what they're going to have for dinner. But a lot of the early phrases I learned in Chinese had to do with food, so I felt pretty good about what I could understand. And Rosetta Stone can help you have your own proud moments. Yes, and the lessons are short, so you can fit them into your busy schedule. And for a limited time, you can get all of Rosetta Stone's 25 language courses for just $179, which is a huge discount off of the usual $399. And you can do that at rosettastone.com dino. Again, that's rosettastone.com dino. And now onto our dinosaur of the day, Dryptosaurus, which was a request from Super Mario Logan fans. Thanks. It was a tyrannosauroid that lived in the Cretaceous in what is now New Jersey in the U.S., and it was a large bipedal carnivore. It was estimated to grow up to 25 feet or 7.5 meters long, and it weighed about 1.7 tons. That's based on one specimen. Dryptosaurus is famous because of Charles Knight's painting of leaping laylaps, because Dryptosaurus used to be known as laylaps. Charles Knight's leaping laylaps was one of the first, maybe even the first, depiction of theropods as active and agile, which was pretty early on. Yeah, back when everyone else was drawing them as lumbering, slow reptiles. And they did so for many years after. Laylaps, or Dryptosaurus, is one of the Bone Wars dinosaurs. There was some fights over that between Copa Marsh, and we talk about that in more detail in our episode 250, which is all about the Bone Wars. Dryptosaurus may have had an Arctometatarsalian foot, like Albertosaurus and Tyrannosaurus, where the third toe is pinched in between the second and fourth toes. Dryptosaurus had relatively short arms and long fingers, but even though they were relatively short, they were still long arms compared to dinosaurs like T-Rex. Proportionally speaking. Yeah. They had large hands with three fingers, though Brusati and others in 2011 found that it may have been similar to derived tyrannosaurids and they may have had only two functional fingers. Dryptosaurus had these eight-inch talon-like claws, and having the big hands may mean that tyrannosaurids did not uniformly shrink their forelimbs. It may be possible that Tyrannosaurids' arms got shorter before their hands got smaller, but we would need more fossils to know. Dryptosaurus had sharp, serrated teeth, and it may have used its arms and jaws when hunting and eating prey. It's not clear what exactly it ate. There's not many Cretaceous dinosaurs from the east coast of the U.S. that are known. 
It may have been hadrosaurs or nodosaurs, although those may have had too much armor. Dryptosaurus lived in a coastal environment, and during the late Cretaceous, there was a warm inland sea that separated western and eastern North America. So because of the sea, it was isolated from Tyrannosaurus and Triceratops and other dinosaurs of the west, and Dryptosaurus may have had more generalist features like earlier dinosaurs. There's not too many Dryptosaurus fossils known. So, like I mentioned, it's a Bone Wars dinosaur. It was described by Edward Drinker Cope in 1866 as Laylaps. And Laylaps means hurricane or storm wind. And that's the name of the dog in Greek mythology that always caught what it hunted. But it turns out that the name Laylaps had already been used for a mite. So, Charles Marsh, not wanting to miss out on that opportunity, renamed it in 1877. (laughs) And the type species is Dryptosaurus aquilunguius. The genus name means tearing lizard, and the species name refers to its three-fingered hand and how it has claws like an eagle's. It's one of the first theropods known. Before Dryptosaurus, only theropod teeth had been found. The type specimen was found in New Jersey in the West Jersey Marl Company pit in the Hornerstone Formation in Barlesboro. Quarry workers collected the specimen. And the type specimen includes a fragmentary maxilla, fragmentary right dentary, vertebrae, parts of the hand, parts of the pubic bones, left femur, left tibia, left fibula, left astragalus. This one was probably a mature specimen. Dryptosaurus has a few different names and species. Most of these were considered dubious now. So again, back to Laylaps. Cope named Laylaps trihedrodon in 1877 based on a partial dentary that's now missing that was found in Colorado in the Morrison Formation. And yes, he knew that Marsh had renamed his dinosaur, but he refused to accept it. (laughs) Again, we go into this in episode 250. So five partial tooth crowns that were thought to be this type of Laylaps, Laylaps trihedrodon, are now thought that they could belong to Allosaurus. Cope also named Laylaps macropus based on a partial hind limb that Joseph Lady had thought was Coelosaurus, but had longer toes. But in 2017, that was named a new genus, Tehyvenator. Tryptosaurus is considered to be a primitive tyrannosauroid, though it took some time. It's been classified in the past as megalosaurid, salurosaur, etc. Gary Vecchiarelli worked on Project Dryptosaurus, and he reviewed the history and significance of Dryptosaurus with the goal to put a full reconstruction of Dryptosaurus on display at the New Jersey State Museum, which I think is the skeletal version of Leaping Laylaps that they have had on display since 2016. I think so, too. Yeah, we mentioned this on our show. It looks really awesome. Yeah, it does. Yeah, being able to see Leaping Laylaps in that way. Yeah, I was just wondering who made it. Now you know. (laughs) <laughs> Paleo artist Tyler Keller also crowdsourced funding and made a life-size replica of Dryptosaurus for the Dunn Museum in Libertyville, Illinois, if you want to see another Dryptosaurus. And our fun fact of the day is maybe I should just call these, why aren't there dinosaurs there? <laughs> because it's a question I often wonder. So this time I was wondering about Ireland because there are tons of fossils in England which is really close to Ireland. So why would there not be dinosaur fossils in Ireland when there are just tons all over England? So it turns out that most of Ireland is covered in Paleozoic rock, which is one era older than the Mesozoic. So the Mesozoic rock was worn off a long time ago. So if there were any dinosaurs there, they've basically all been scraped away and destroyed. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But there are still some Mesozoic rocks there. Some of Ireland 
got covered by some volcanic rock and it made sort of a protective cap over the Mesozoic layer so that it didn't get worn away down to the Paleozoic. And most of that, I think, is in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland is the only place where you see any Mesozoic animals, so that would make sense. Unfortunately, even then, Ireland was underwater for most of the Mesozoic, so basically we just find marine animals and not dinosaurs, which isn't too different than Britain because a lot of the stuff we find there is like plesiosaurs and ichthyosaurs and stuff too. But the stuff that has been found in Northern Ireland is a pair, I think, of ichthyosaurs and a single plesiosaur, as long as everything's in the paleobio database <laughs> that has actually been found. And then apparently there's also been some unidentified thyreophoran, meaning either stegosaur or ankylosaur, or one of their ancestors' remains, and also some theropod remains. But presumably they're unidentified because they're either too small or worn down to be distinguishable. So maybe it was from them being out to sea for a while because it was a marine environment, or maybe it just wasn't a great preservational environment. So unfortunately, if you're in Ireland and you're hoping for a nice national dinosaur, it might be a while. But you never know. Yeah. As Californians, we're in pretty much the same boat, the Mesozoic was a wet time and a lot of areas that are now near the coast <laughs> were submerged during the Mesozoic. But we still managed to have a state dinosaur, so. Yeah, we got a couple. We're a lot bigger than Ireland too, so that helps us. And we have a lot more Mesozoic rock in general too. Well, just to clarify, we only have one state dinosaur, but we do have a couple different dinosaurs who are found in the state. Yes. <laughs> And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And you can also join our growing community of dinosaur enthusiasts at patreon.com slash I Dino. Thanks again. And until next time. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader